This episode is supported by Manscaped. Manscaped have kindly agreed to continue sponsoring the podcast. You can use our promo code GTM to receive 20% off all products and free worldwide shipping. If you've not heard of Manscaped before, they're now the leading company in male grooming. Their products range from face razors to nose trimmers and their famous lawnmower 3.0, which is a product specifically designed for in and around your never regions, so you no longer have to worry about snagging the bag. As a listener of Go In The Match, you get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with our promo code GTM. Head over to www.manscaped.com to have a look at all their range of products to grab yourself an absolute bargain. Welcome back to the Go In The Match podcast. Today I'm joined by James Jones of We Are West Ham podcast. James, thanks for giving me time today, mate, and come on the podcast. No, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, so I want you to take us back to your childhood and following the Hammers. Where were you born and how did your love for West Ham United begin? So I was born sort of um, on, on the on the cusp of North East London stroke Essex, um, sort of around uh, sort of Woodford way. So I mean, there's parts of Woodford that are in Essex, parts that are in sort of North East London. So, um, and I had no choice. Like most football fans, my dad um, almost sort of forced me. Uh, one of my earliest memories of of just even like foot, just football in general was my dad saying that you get, if you ever come home from school and tell me you're a Tottenham fan, I'll make you homeless. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I must have been about six or seven, maybe, maybe even younger. And um, obviously, that anyone that age gets terrified when they get told they're going to be made homeless. So I was kind of scared into it. Obviously, he was only joking, but um, I now realise that now I've got a son, I'll probably be saying the exact same thing to him because... Um, I've been a West Ham fan ever since and my hatred for Spurs is, is just as strong as my dad's was back then so, so yeah <laughs> so Have you got any sort of memories going to watch West Ham when you were younger and any sort of master experiences that you can remember? My earliest my earliest memory of actually going um, was I mean my dad was so eager to get me to go um, like he wanted to take me like, if he could he would have taken me on, on the day I was born like he just was so desperate to take me to uh, to Upton Park, and it got to a point where he was like, for, like basically bringing me to the game, but bringing my mum along as well, so that she could look after me while he watched the game, just so that like I was there, but you know my mum was there just to help out. And um, we, it was my first actual game. My mum was there as well, um, sort of against her own will. We beat Norwich at home four nil, and every goal that went in, I cried with fear because of the noise of the crowd and and the roar of the goals. Um, and I cried and I hated every single second of it because I was too young. <laughs> um, and I, I I have very very vague memories of that sort of standing there and just being absolutely terrified. Um, and th- but then my dad just kept taking me, and um, that that was my earliest memory. But I remember going to Upton Park and just loving going with my dad and my uncle and then obviously as I grew up with my mates and stuff. So, um, so yeah, that, that was my earliest memory, um, in tears and petrified. Um, and I, it kind of stayed that way for many, many years because I have a crime with happiness or crime of sadness when it comes to supporting West Ham. <laughs> so were you kind of hooked then? Obviously you started going when you were dead younger and you kind of just got the bug for it. And obviously you're touching on there, going with your mates and stuff and transitioning to obviously, you know, going going with your, your mates and going on the beers and stuff like that. Is that something that you like always wanted to do? Then going to watch West Ham every other Saturday. Yeah, yeah. You get, like most people, you get the bug very early, and then see when you get to that age where you know 
yeah, you, you can go with your mates and you can get the pub beforehand and after and have half time pint and um and it yeah it just became a, a ritual for me and my pals um and still is you know going you know getting the pub as early as you possibly can on a saturday afternoon uh nothing better than a three o'clock kickoff because it gives you an extra few hours in the pub before <laughs> um and yeah like whenever any time we're standing right home um in particular those are just like it's almost it's the social th- social side of it and then the football comes come secondary really um but hooked from the football from a very young age and grew up in a very sporting family as well so that helped and it kind of just snowballed from there like like i assume most fans so like the match they experienced everything now is that obviously during covid is that something that you're really missing i think everyone that i've every guest of every club I've had on it probably is very timely that i've done the podcast during a global pandemic that we were all talking about how much we miss it and you know when we go back and you're going to probably not take it for as granted. Are you, do you sort of look back on that match day experience now and really miss that routine and being with your friends? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it was, I was chatting to my brother about it, funny enough, um, yesterday. Because uh, obviously the announcements come out that, you know, hopefully by May, fans will be allowed to be back in stadiums. Um, obviously, that's the end of the season. So the likelihood is August, um, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. And we were just saying, you know, I just that's what we miss the football because we're still watching the football obviously it's not the same watching every game on tv but because we're still getting the football that's fine but not having the social side of it you know um going mm-hmm. into the pub before and as i've already said and if we've won then we're all in the pub straight afterwards getting the jugs in and, and having a good night and you know even if we've lost we're, we're, we're in the pub and it's for me, nothing beats it. The social side of, of being a football fan and, you know, it doesn't matter whether you win, lose or draw, you still can have that good day. And obviously away days add to it. And um, that's the number one thing that I've missed. And I'm sure many other fans have missed across the globe is just, you know, being able to enjoy the sport with your mates or with your family um, with a pint. Um, and you can kind of just, you forget everything else in the world, don't you? on that on you know in those few hours um it's very difficult at the moment to really get away from reality when you're watching it on the box for an hour hour and a half um you can't really get away with get away from life's problems whereas when football's back and you can get in the pub you can do so um yeah hopefully by august we'll be back we'll be back doing what we love so what does a standard match day look like for yourself now obviously before covid's coming I've not done West Ham away before and obviously you've got a new ground there. So an away fan going or someone that hasn't been, what can they expect going to West Ham now? What's in and around the ground? Expect a long walk. Um, <laughs> it's in the middle. It, West Ham, our new ground is, uh, well, it's not a football stadium for a start, but you know that's a completely different conversation, probably a completely separate podcast. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, for away fans, I mean, I don't know that many pubs around there for for away fans in Stratford now. Um, you know, there were one or two in, in Upton Park, but you can, there's not really many places for away fans to go. But there, there are a few pubs in sort of uh, in, in Stratford that a lot of fans frequent before and after the game. But then from the pubs to the ground, it's a good 15 minute walk, 20 minute walk. Um, but then outside the ground, which I think is quite good to be fair, is they have a lot of bar, like pop up bars right. directly outside the grounds you get through the security gates and then you know you can if you don't fancy the long walk between the pub and the, the ground before kickoff you go straight to the ground and you can pay eight quid for a pint out, outside which um 
quite a lot of people do surprisingly, but it's very expensive because obviously they license those little pitches out. So anyone can just charge what they want and people pay it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a completely different match day experience than what most fans would be used to just because of the location of the ground from you know the, the station at Stratford and the, the lack of pubs very, very close to the stadium. Um, and the fact that it's it's just a, a not not a football stadium. It's not what you would call a football stadium, really. It's just a, a big round athletic stadium with a football pitch slap bang in the middle of it. So obviously touching on the ground that you've got there now, relatively new in the London Stadium. Obviously, I think it's well publicised that the majority, if not all, West Ham fans don't enjoy the setup. I've you know plenty of away fans have actually come on this podcast going to West Ham have said that it's not an enjoyable experience. So you know, in your own opinion, what exactly is it that you don't enjoy about the ground? Like you say, it's it doesn't look, for me, it doesn't really look like it's football purposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a football stadium, as I've already said. Um, and the, the gaps between the, the, the seats and the pitch, particularly on both, both sides, um, they're so pronounced that, you know, you can't help but, that think, well, you know, this doesn't doesn't feel like a football stadium when you're in it. I'm I still think that even though, of course, everyone would prefer to still be at Upton Park, my season ticket in the London Stadium is is still relatively close to the pitch. I'm on the corner flag, um, and I was on the corner flag at Upton Park, and I compared pictures between my two views between the two stadiums, and I still maintain that I'm closer to the pitch actually at London Stadium than I was at Upton Park, only by a few meters. So my view, um, you know, where I am actually makes it, you know, quite a good experience on match day because you're still quite close. You know, you're right up where the, you know, the players are taking corners or throw-ins or whatever. Um, but I can see why visiting fans, especially because they're so high up or they're so far back behind the goal that they just don't enjoy it. And um, it's it's just, you know, you can get a good atmosphere in there when the place is rocking, and it has been rocking. You know, we have had some good good memories there. It's just not is. It's not West Ham for a start. Everyone knew Upton Park was being, you know, this great, you know, traditional football stadium, really close to the pitch. Fans get on them, um, and the London Stadium just doesn't have that. It's it's almost yeah, it's, it's not authentic for me. Yeah, um, it's as if they've just kind of forced it to be a football stadium without actually thinking how can how can we turn this into a proper football stadium? Not like Man City did at, um, at the Etihad when that was for the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. They built that at the beginning, knowing that eventually that would be a football stadium. So they built it purposely for that. Um, whereas uh, for the Olympics, they didn't know what they wanted it to be afterwards. So they didn't have football in mind. So now we're stuck with this round arena, which just isn't suitable. But, you know, we're stuck with it for the time being. And, you know... We're over the, the the moaning and groaning about it. Obviously, we want improvements made, and they are slowly making improvements. They've squared off behind the goal um, during during the pandemic. They squared it off, so the gaps behind the goal isn't as big. But um, I think a lot of us we don't particularly enjoy it, but there's not a lot we can do about it at the moment. So we kind of just get on with it. And um, if, if there's anything we haven't missed over the over the pandemic, it's going to London Stadium. Could kind of correct me if I'm wrong, then really. If- if I put myself in your shoes, I'd probably feel a bit more like detached from the club as a fan. Does it kind of feel like you've been taken away from your home and you've just been, you know, dumped somewhere where you don't want to be? Because if I, I yeah. if we always had talks of leaving Anfield uh, with our previous American owners, and I think if we'd have done that, I think we'd have 
really sold our soul, really. And I think staying Anfield and building on the grounds being a success. And I, I just, I couldn't imagine being taken away from that. So is, do you kind of have the same feeling, you know, being detached from the club of fans? I know, I know there's a, a large percentage of the fans that do feel detached from, you know, the club that they grew up and, and fell in love with. Um, yeah. And I completely understand that. Uh, me, not so much purely because of my own experience with the ground. Um, I don't, don't massively hate going um, because of where my seat is, you know, and it's not too bad, but I could 100% completely see why other fans would feel that way. Yeah. Um, and although I feel a little bit differently, I would still bite anyone's arm off to go back to Hudson Park. And it, we, we have, we were forced into the move. Um, the fans weren't consulted the way in which they felt as if they, sh- they should have been consulted um, when it came to the move. The, the owners, Gold and Sullivan, knew that that was going to be their end goal when they bought the ground. They said it in their first press conference after they bought the club that that was their view and that was what they were they were dreaming to do. So, And when they go to the fans, look, we need to move to this stadium um, if we want to push on to the next level, if we want to get to, if we want to play in the Champions League, if we want to attract the best players, if we want to play in Europe, um we need to move stadiums because we can't build up to park any bigger than what it is now. Um, and they couldn't afford to build a brand new stadium. So they've gone, right, cheapest chips, done the stadium, um, broke a, a deal of the century and two and a half million rent a year. Um, I can I could see the business sense behind it, absolutely, from the owner's point of view, but they didn't think of the fans. And that's why the fans are so, so angry with the whole thing because Karen Brady's words were a world-class team for a world-class stadium. Well, we've we've had four relegation battles since we moved in, so it's not a world class team, um, and it's not a world class stadium. Frankly, it's not. So um, the fans feel lied to, um, and that's been the crux of all the issues that a lot of a lot of people would have seen over the last four years at the club. So touching on other grounds now, I know you've done your fair share of away days over the years as well. Have you got any particular grounds that you enjoy going to yourself, and any sort of stories and experiences that you've got? So I, I'm I'm a a rare breed of a football fan that I don't I haven't been away as often as, as many of my mates and my mates got, give me a lot of stick for it um, over the years um, the way sort of my work commitments and stuff kind of led to me only really going to home games I mean, I mean I've been away uh, it was only until last season that every away game I've been to we'd lost uh, <laughs> I, I'd ne- I, I went to uh, Watford away last year and we won that 3-1 and that was the first away game in probably sort of 20 or 30 that we'd actually won and it got to the point where my mates were like begging me not to go like don't go Jay don't like leave it don't, just please don't go but we won um, I, I went over to Slovenia to see us in the Europa League qualifiers against um, uh, Dom Zali lost that 2-1 um, and I thought God, I'm never going to see us win if we can't beat Dom Zali I've come all the way over to Slovenia for it. Um, what was what was that experience Q- like in going to Slovenia? What was that like? Well, that was that was a weird experience for me because a mate of mine worked for um, Betway, um, our shirt sponsors, and uh, he managed to wangle me into onto the team's plane to fly out there. Right. Um, they were they were actually in pre-season in Switzerland, and he picked me up from a hangar at Stansted. Um, in the team plane, it was empty. Just me, him, and a few other people. We were flying over to Slovenia, and they were they were getting a bus from Switzerland to Slovenia to meet us there. So we flew over to Slovenia in this empty private jet, um, 
and I went, I'm talking in a private hangar at Stansted and I mean that was it that was an experience and a half and then two nights at a hotel um in Slovenia the first day we got there we met up with all the West Ham fans um right on the river Slovenia, um, it's Ljubljana is their capital beautiful city right on the canal and just joined up with the West Ham fans for for the day and just drank way too many beers and just had a good time and um and then the, the following day went to the game spent the first half behind the goal with all the West Ham fans the second half in the director's box um and it was it was a great experience um a strange experience because then afterwards we flew back to Stansted straight after the game with the West Ham squad um Mark Noble uh, wasn't very talkative on the flight back uh, understandably um but yeah it was a good experience it was it was my first experience of seeing us abroad um and just yeah just yeah without going into too much detail uh, pr- probably the drunkest I've been <laughs> um for for a long long time because yeah we, we had some we had some good laughs on that on that first day but um but yeah it was after that game I makes were like don't stop going away if you, if we can't beat some random Slovenian team in Europe with you there, then we ain't beating anyone, so stop going. <laughs> That's what it's all about, isn't it? So yeah. I wanted to kind of touch on the owners that you've got at the club. And again, touching back on the stadium that they put you in, obviously it's well publicised again, <laughs> that you aren't happy with the owners too. I remember it getting really toxic, uh, a match against Burnley a couple of years ago, if I'm right in saying. And um, where the fans were protesting at the ground and just kind of want to get your thoughts on the ownership and how frustrating again that's been as a fan. Massively frustrating um, because we've already spoken about it. They've, they've taken us from Upton Park to London Stadium um, and not delivered on a number of the promises that they made the fans regarding that move. You know, they promised us that we would be challenging. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying challenging for the title or... Um, getting to the semi-finals of the Champions League or even getting in the Champions League, um, but just challenging at the right end of the table. And we won't, you know, we had that really, that great final season up to Park where we almost got into the top four. Um, one of the best seasons in my lifetime. And that, I mean, that kind of, it almost set the tone, right, brilliant. We've had that season. Let's yeah. move into this new new ground and really push on. And the, the recruitment that summer was... Um, just woeful and it, it was just poor and the fans then rocked up on the first game of the season into this new stadium and then suddenly realised hang on this isn't what you promised us this is scaffolding everywhere and you know the, the, the retractable seating isn't retractable it's on scaffolding um, you know the stadium looks half finished like everything was just it just wasn't what we were told it was going to be mm. and then on top of that the football was poor Um we weren't winning football matches. We were getting beat by Watford at home um, and things like that. And it all just sort of bubbled up. And then by the time that Burnley game came, the season, it was, that was the second season in, in the ground, I think. I'm pretty sure it was. By then, the fans had fights with stewards because, you know, West Ham had lost control over the stewarding. It was the owners of the stadium that were contracting stewards in. So they didn't know West Ham fans they didn't know we were they, it wasn't like you know when you you know you, you have a bit you have a bit of rapport with the, the stewards over the years because it's always the same steward they're normally the fans of the club as well and um, it's the point where you've got then you've got suddenly you've got like technically bouncers employed as stewards pushing fans about because you know they wanted everyone to sit down for health and safety and West Ham fans just don't sit down um, and but then the migration was poor because they'd mixed 
a lot of the uh, areas at Upton Park where the fans always stood up. They were mixing those with like the family section that were always obviously sitting down, and so you had you had fans mm-hmm. fighting fans because they had some fans saying, "Can you sit down? I can't see." Mm-hmm. Other fans going, "No, do one." And so you had infighting between the fans, you had fight between the stewards, and in that game, you're three 0 down at home to um, well, at that time it was one 0 when the first fan went on, and it all just bubbled over, um, and the fans just got to the point where like, "No, we've had enough of this. You know, we've had enough." It's not what we were. We, we were sold, you know, sold a dream, and we, all we got was lies and uh, and everything else. So, and it's bubbled over, and it's still, it's still. Even though we're doing better on the pitch now, uh, there are still protests being planned as we speak. So, as soon as we're back in the ground, you know, the fans still want the owners out. Um, you know, there's a saying amongst the fans that it's support the team, not the regime, and and that will, you know, we we could we could get in the Champions League this year, and the fans will still want the owners out. It's a relationship that can't be repaired anymore, which is a shame because, you know, that would be a great achievement for the owners to to oversee West Ham in the Champions League. But for us, it's, it's you know, what they've done. Stadium move, lack of investment, lack of investment in the training ground is, is another one. Again, we could do another podcast on this alone, really. Um, but there's just so many things that have just built up over and over and over and over to the point where now West Ham has like, it's done. Sell the club get out um so yeah that's that's pretty much that in a nutshell it kind of reminds you of a newcastle fan on on here on our uh, second very season. similar yeah and it's very similar what you're saying and what they've said obviously about uh, mike ashley obviously but that's well publicized and do, do you think then maybe if, if this does carry on what will it be that finally pushes the owners into selling what 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 would you would it be anything could anything happen because Newcastle's been one where they've kind of tried everything and he's not shifting either. So what what do you think West Ham um, as a club could do? Look, we're going to keep protesting. Uh, there's, I mean, on our podcast, we have a lot of these supporters groups on and, you know, they're, they're really, they've managed to get meetings with the club to try and sort of fix some of the issues, but they've made no secret the fact that they are organising protests and those will still happen. Yeah, it's well documented um, that the, the owners can't sell the club at the moment um, without having to pay the government a certain percentage of their profit as part of the stadium move. So I think it's May 2023 is when that that deal that clause in the contract expires, and they can just sell it without having to, you know, give the government back any money. Yeah. So a lot of the fans are like, well, they're clearly waiting for for that date to to end before they put the club up for sale. I mean, occasionally you get rumours that you know they they can't apparently they turned down a five hundred million offer from a uh, I don't know it was the Americans or something American consortium. But out of that five hundred million, they would have had to pay a large chunk to the government. So you can probably see why they why they turned it down. But yeah. I don't know. I think the fans have just got to keep doing what they're doing and keep keep pushing because eventually it will happen. They will get forced forced to sell. Um, their end game would probably be to pass it down to the family, but I don't think the fans will allow that to happen. Um, like I said, you know, Jack Sullivan and, and Davis Sullivan Jr. probably, probably you know, lined up to, to take over eventually, but the fans just want rid of the, you know, just get someone else in. Um, and until that happens, it will just be protest after protest after protest, I think. Um, and the more they do that, the more it goes public. The more the media catch catch on to it, the more it gets reported on, 
um the more the message gets across and i think that's the important thing you know we're not protesting for the sake of protesting um and newcastle fans will feel the same in that you know there's a lot of people that don't understand think oh what are you protesting for stop moaning so that goes deeper than that um as soon as you get the media on side that's when the pressure really get you know gets on the owners to start doing something so that's the end game um and hopefully in the next couple of years the fans will, will get get their wish so as we're well aware, West Ham have had a massive trophy drought as well. I feel like I'm just absolutely ridiculing the club at the moment. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm right in saying that uh, it's been over 40 years since you've last won a trophy now. And so I've done a few Everton uh, episodes as well. And I always liken West Ham to Everton in this sense as well, the trophy drought. And is so as a fan then, how much are you sort of yearning now for a trophy? run, you know, like a cup run, or obviously you touched on it before about being in the Europa League, but didn't get into like the group stages. So you could like have a journey as a fan base and you have some stories to tell. And like the FA Cup or the League Cup, it always seems to be that West Ham maybe don't take it seriously enough. And, you know, that would be something amazing for your fan base to go and win that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's the one thing as well that, that fans get frustrated with a lot is that, you know, um, so many times over the years we've gone out of cups, whether that's the, the League Cup or the FA Cup, to to lower league opposition. And, you know, everyone knows that lower league opposition will up, will up their game against Premier League clubs. You know, it's, it's, it's happened for over 100 years. You know, it's going to keep happening. But when it happens year after year, you know, lost to Wimbledon one year, then used to Wigan the next year. And back in the 90s, we're losing to like to Wrexham and you know, clubs like that in, in the cups and it's like what what what's going on? You know, the fans want cup runs. We're not we're not demanding to win the FA Cup every year, but we want to see the team actually try and win something. Yeah. Um if the effort's there on the pitch then, you know, the, you know it's it, that's all the, you know, that's all that they can do. Yeah. Um this year we've lost to Everton in a, the League Cup, fair enough. And at that time Everton were in great form. Calvert Lewin was on fire. Uh, and Man United in the FA Cup fifth round. So this year, okay, a little bit, a little bit like, oh, that's just, you know, that's annoying, a bit frustrating. But we can't really complain because David Moyes went for it. He, he went for particularly FA Cup, went for it. Um, but previous years has just been a disappointment. And yeah, we do want, we do want a bit of silverware. The last bit of silverware we had was to play our final in 2012. Um, if you can call that silverware, I mean, I do. But uh, um, but yeah, it's. it's it's a difficult one, like three FA Cups. The FA Cup's the one the fans want. Um, we've only got three FA Cups in our history and, you know, the fans think or, or believe that we should have more. A club like West Ham should have more FA Cups to its name. Um, so, yeah, again, that's part of the, the whole London Stadium promise and stuff like that. We'll be challenging and we just haven't. Um, this year, we did. The, the last year at Upton Park, we did, admittedly. We got to the sixth round of the FA Cup lost to Man United that year as well. That was, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, and especially after what, our last FA Cup final in 2006, lost to Liverpool in penalties, 2-0 up, you know, the, the, the famous Gerrard final. Um, still breaks my heart to, to, the, to this day. Uh, it's just even thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, just looking back and being a, just knowing how close we were then, just going, you know, we, we should be looking to compete there again, you know, and, and get back to another cup final. And 
the trouble is normally if you get to a cup final this year you meet man city who just relentless and will just stick six past you regardless um but yeah it, it is it is on fans minds it always is and you know even if we can just get into the europa league and have a go at that something different um would be nice but the league cup the league cup before and i keep talking but um the league cup is the one that every club every club outside the top six should be trying so hard to win it baffles me that more clubs outside the top six the top six can do it with their b team you know we see city do it four years in a row you know and you know they go for it because they know get your first trophy on the board early doors and it sets the time for the rest of the season yeah the rest of the top six can do it with their you know with their kids half the time and get pretty far anyone outside that top six in the premier league should be doing all they can to win that trophy it baffles me that a lot of them put, put their kids out from the second round and, and just go, oh, we'll see what happens. Um, and that's the trophy that we, we West Ham should be targeting, first and foremost. Um, for me, yeah, okay, we want the FA Cup. Everyone wants the FA Cup. Go for the League Cup. Get something on Get something on the board, you know. Um, we'll see. It does feel as though something's beginning to happen at West Ham, so maybe, maybe we're getting closer. So looking forward to the future now, then obviously currently doing really well under David Moyes and what would you kind of say is maybe the the backbone to the recent form at West Ham? It's difficult to put a finger on because we're not there seeing it firsthand. Um, but I think the, the the number one thing that every West Ham fan has noticed is the togetherness within the squad. Uh, I think a number of players have even commented it publicly. That you know, I think Aaron Creswell, Declan Rice has definitely said it, but I think Aaron Creswell said it first is that the players look forward to going to training now. They look forward, they, they, they jump out of bed and get, can't wait to get to train and see the boys and have, have a laugh and, and train. Um, I can't remember the last time West Ham player even hinted that they enjoyed playing for the football club. <laughs> it's, you know, it's mad. And, you know, when you've got you've got players like Aaron Cresswell, who last year was probably his worst season at the club in terms of form. A lot of fans expected him, didn't really expect to see the best of him again. And this year, he's been one of our best players because, you know, David Morris has instilled that belief into a lot of the players that that were out of form last year and were beginning to probably, you know, look like they were going to be sort of on their way out of the club because, they, you know, they've been around for a while. Um, and now they're back in the team. Oh, Bonner, um, Creswell, Antonio's another one. He's just completely breathed a new, new lease of life into him. And it's also managing expectations, you know, so many times that when new managers come into football clubs, particularly at West Ham, and they go, right, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're good enough to be in Europe. Yeah, that's that's the target. David Moyes has gone. I'm not setting any targets. Um, I've got targets in my head, and the players know what my targets are, but I'm not promising the fans anything. Yeah, and he actually said that. I'm not promising the fans anything. We're not going to give anyone false hope. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, keep, you know, keep being good at what we know we're good at, and then we'll see where we end up at the end of the season. And that's managed fans' ex- fans' expectations from the off, yeah. Which probably makes the season revving now even better because we're like we weren't expecting this, we weren't told to expect this. Um, if anything, we were expecting another relegation battle, and here we are in the top four with what thirteen games to go. So all of that kind of um, has, has, for me, has been the key the key to two areas. But then the recruitment's been a lot better under Moyes. Suchek being the big one, yeah. Sufal. Um, Bowen, Ben Rama, um, just four players already. Just four players that have just added um, work rate, um, heart, 
grit in midfield and um, there's that clip from Soufal after he lost to City at the weekend. It was like we lost the cup final. He was on his knees, head in his hands and we'd only just narrowly lost 2-1 at the Etihad and he's like, it's as if we'd just been relegated and yeah. that's the sort of things West Ham fans love, you know, it's like just a little bit of heart. Um, David Morris has brought that and I think everyone, everything else on top of that has, has kind of all fallen into place because Premier League footballers aren't bad footballers. They just need to be managed right. And every football club could, you know, can can do similar things because you know you don't become a Premier League player by luck. And um, they're all very, very good players. It's just molding them into the right, the right team, and um, getting them into the right mentality. And I think David Moyes has done that perfectly. It's a bit of a random one. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on now. Obviously, West Ham's academy is well known to be one of the best academies in Britain, and produced the likes of Lampard, Ferdinand, Joe Cole over the years. Same a few. Obviously, there's still youth coming through now. And um, I kind of wanted to understand from a fan's point of view how tough it's been producing all that talent, but then the club usually selling it on to the likes of Chelsea and, you know, seeing these boys come through the ranks. And you touched on there, the team now, just showing a bit of heart and grit and determination. But then they sell the, the players on. Has that been quite hard to see as a fan? Yes and no. I think, you know, years ago... You know, in the era of Lampard, Rio Ferdinand, um, Michael Carrick, those players, the feeling was that when you're getting off of back in the day, I think, what was it, 18 million for Rio Ferdinand? Back then, that was a lot of money for a club like West Ham. And, yeah. um, and he was world-class even then when he went to Leeds. Um, Lampard was a different one because, you know, the fans didn't really warm to him even when he was at the club because... The feeling was he was, only, he was only in the team because his uncle was manager and his dad was assistant. Um, and then as soon as they were sacked, he wanted to leave. Um, that's fair enough. But that's Joe Cole. That that hurt a lot of fans when Joe Cole left, but we needed the money. Um, Carrick's a similar similar situation, and I, I, it's a difficult one because we brought we're, we're immensely proud that we you know we've produced all these players, and you even go back to the likes of Bobby Moore and, and Jeff Hurst and those sort of players as well. Yeah. But at the same time, so many decisions have been made at the club that have affected the club further down the line. You know, the decisions to sell those players um, or not give the players what they wanted or not bring in the right players that then allow those players to stay at the club because we've pushed on in terms of being on the pitch and competing in the right in the right competitions. Um, but these players are world-class. Very, You can tell they're world-class very, very early on or they've got the potential to be world-class. So you can't really begrudge them to move on, especially if West Ham are underachieving, which we have done for many, many years. Um, and obviously now with Declan Rice being the, being the key one, the feeling is, well, if we get into the Europa League, at least, we've got no real, no real reason to sell him Yeah. this summer. If we don't, then the worry is that he might go, look, I, I, I want to go play in the Champions League. I want to go play in Europe. And, you know, the fans would be like, cool, mate. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but we've got, we've had so many young players that have come through and not gone on to world-class things, but have still been pretty good. I've look at Mark Noble, who's been around for 16 years, and he's you know, he's coming up to, was it 400, was it 400 Premier League appearances and almost 550 games for the club. Never a world-class player by any means, but he's been at the club through thick and thin. And so while you've had all the, the likes of Lampard and Ferdinand leave, we've still been proud enough to have the likes of Noble um, 
know, James Tompkins before we sold him and, and players like that that have stuck around and, and you know, been been good servants to the club. And now we've got Deccan Rice, Ben Johnson's coming through now, um, a couple of other youngsters. So it's frustrating, but it's football, isn't it? You kind of get used to it. Does your fan base then kind of look at it and think, what could have been? And like that nucleus of players that were coming through then, that they could have stayed together for a little bit longer and got West Ham a trophy. Is, does your fan base look at it like that? Or are they just rather they've come through the ranks and, you know, obviously they're England internationals as well. Is there a sense of that or not really? I think that there's always been a sense that um, we should have won something, particularly in that era, sort of the late 90s, uh, mid, mid to late 90s. We should have won something back then. Um, we had a very, very good team back then. The, the, the best we managed was finishing fifth in 99. Uh, but we didn't push on with that. You know, we didn't push on into the early 2000s. We, we had such an opportunity there to, to push on and, and maybe win something or get into Europe or something like that. And uh, by 2003, we were relegated because we'd sold them all. And um, I think we, even that, I mean, that team that was relegated in 2003, 43 points. Um, that had the likes of uh, Decanio in, ben, uh, Glenn Johnson, Michael Carrick, uh, Trevor Sinclair, I believe. Um, so it had a really, really, really good team. David James in goal. Um, and, you know, so many youngsters in and around that squad. And you know, we just didn't didn't use that to, to its potential. And there was, so there is, there is that frustration that we missed a huge opportunity. Everyone talks about, oh, well, you know, that, that team could have won the Premier League because... So look what they're going to have done. I don't think that's true. Um, but we should have at least, I don't think we even got anywhere near a cup final during that. So that's how much we underachieved with those players. So you produce content yourself, obviously, through uh, We Are West Ham podcast. And is that something that you've always wanted to do, always something that you've knew you were going to set up? Or how did you get into setting that up? So I've worked in, in football media for about eight or nine years, um, did sports journalism at uni. Uh, and to, while I was at uni, coupled with my my passion for for football, I set up a West Ham website called West Ham World, um, just as a hobby, really, as my bedroom. And my mum's just thought, oh, you know, I'll just create this and see where it takes me. Five or six years down the line, it was probably the biggest web, West Ham website out there, run by fans. And then I was approached by, about two years ago, I was approached by Love Sport Radio, who um, they they launched a. Uh, a radio station in London based around or they, they was talk, it was talk radio but they had they wanted to have an hour or two hour show for every London club okay run by a fan I didn't have a podcast I'd never done radio um, and they called me up and were like do you fan- just seen your website do you fancy doing a West Ham show and I was like are you sure you got the right number because <laughs> um, I don't have a podcast but no that's alright you can come along um, so I signed, signed that and next thing I know, I've got my own West Ham show on live radio for, for two years and um, met my uh, co-host, at, current co-host on the We Are West Ham podcast while working in, in, in the radio station. And um, obviously when COVID hit, radio, they went they went bust. Love Sport went bust, unfortunately. And me and Will went, what do we do? Like, we've not got a radio show anymore. So, well, let's just turn it into a podcast. So we renamed it we are west ham um at this time last year stuck it up on on all the all the podcast platforms and then and then there we go and we knew we had an audience because we we had 
you know, fans ringing in every week, fans texting us, um, stuff like that. So we knew we had an audience and managed to turn it into, you know, a pretty decent West Ham podcast off the back of it. And now a YouTube channel, because now we've obviously with Zoom, you can record the record the videos and stick them up on YouTube and sort of why not make the most of that as well. And we've grown that a little bit as well. So, um, so yeah, it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, but it kind of goes hand in hand with my with my work. You know, I work for a media company that owns up to 100, well, around about 100 football websites. Um, including, you know, including the largest f- uh, football Facebook page in the world in, in Kidney Sport. So I spend most of my day creating football content, writing about football, um, brainstorming football content ideas. So it kind of just goes hand in hand with my day job, really. So finally, the podcast is centered around going the match. So of every podcast we're doing, I want to end by asking, what are your top three favorite matches you've ever been to or seen? Yeah, so you sent me this question earlier in preparation, and I've been racking my brains ever since. Um, top three, uh, number one, without a doubt, has to be last the last game out in Park, West Ham three, United two. Um, purely one for the day out. It was just a wonderful day out. Um, but the day off work for it, it was a win. I think it was a Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, and just I've never seen so many fans at Upton Park just loads of fans and then the game was just perfect um, to win it the way we did in the last ever game and against United it's just it's what you, you couldn't have written it really um, so that's definitely number one I think number two wasn't wasn't the best game but in terms of meaning and again atmosphere was our playoff final win against um, Blackpool okay at Wembley uh, 2012 uh, purely because it was a dream of mine to see West Ham play and win at Wembley and that was the first time I sort of got to see both um, so that's definitely number two what, what see your, number three what was your sort of Wembley experience like because I've had multiple guests on here different clubs and I've had a couple of United fans on here that they really enjoyed it and then I've had other fans on that say they didn't really enjoy it what was your sort of thoughts on Wembley I can't remember. I had a few drinks that day. Um, <laughs> I remember being, we, we were we were right beyond the goal, but like by high up in the gods, we were by the, um, the big screen behind the goal, I think just above it on the corner. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been to Wembley before to watch England and um, other sporting events. Um, so I kind of knew what to expect. Yeah. I don't mind it there. Um, it's a bit, of a bit of a pain to get away from. Mm. Um and even get two sometimes with the tube and that, but yeah, I mean, because don't go very often. Um, I've got to say that I loved every minute of it. To be yeah. fair, but yeah, I suppose when you're when you're a supporter of a club that goes two or three times a year, so after a while it must get a little bit like oh, I've got to go back to Wembley. But yeah, I'd love to go back. I'd love to go back. You want my third game? I oh, see. It's such a difficult one. Um, it doesn't have to be West Ham, though. Be whoever you want, but I mean, you can pick that 2006 FA Cup final from Liverpool win if you really want. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't there for that. Uh, but no, I'm not going to pick that one. Um, it took me six months to re- to watch that Gerard goal back. I yeah. didn't even watch a replay of it until six months later. Um, it's going to be the the game at Ljubljana in, in Slovenia. Purely because it's my first experience abroad. Completely different experience than what kind of what I was expecting. Yeah. Hot, hot day um, and although we lost the game we were one nil up uh, Noble scored a penalty just right in front of us um, and it wasn't the best game of football but in terms of just like the general experience of, sort of watching West Ham in Europe and 
knowing that okay, it was the first leg because we still had the second leg and we won the second leg 3-0, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, just the just that experience of, of seeing of seeing West Ham in Europe and because it's different. I don't, I don't know if you've been away to see, see Liverpool, yeah. but it's just, it's a different aura. It's a different feeling. Um, and granted, I haven't experienced a lot of that, but it stood out. It stood out for me. So yeah, that would be number three. If I had a bit longer, I could have given given your listeners um, a little bit better better than that. But that's all I've got. Fantastic. I think that's a fantastic way to finish there, mate. So just before you go, just a massive thank you for giving me time and coming on. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed that episode and want to keep notified for future episodes, please make sure you subscribe, follow and share. And of course, leave us a five-star rating. You can now follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all at Go In The Match to keep updated for future episodes and updates on the podcast.